0: So glad to be here. You can be seated. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Grab your Bibles, please, and go to Genesis chapter 24, and we'll start there. And so I'm from Michigan. I spoke to my wife this morning, and uh, they already canceled school last night. And uh, so my kids are at home and uh, just enjoying the day together. My wife, uh, we have three children. Uh, My oldest turns 11 on Saturday, and my youngest uh, turned one two weeks ago. And uh, so my wife says, you know what, we, I thought we had everything ready, but she says, I woke up this morning and realized we only had enough formula for one bottle. So she had to get out in the snow this morning and uh, did that. But how many, anybody else from Michigan? Anybody else? Okay, some fellow Michiganders there. I don't really consider myself a Michigander. I'm originally, I was born in Louisiana and uh, 50 miles away from Coach Ed Ogeron, where he grew up, you know, Go Tigers guy, and, um, and so that's where I grew up, and I, I used to think, man, we didn't talk like that, did we? And then I visited recently and I said, yes, we did. And I found out that way. And uh, But so glad to be here. I want to say thank you uh, to uh, Dr. Getch and Dr. R and, and um, Brother Ferso for hosting me yesterday and today and uh, Pastor Chapel for having me. And uh, thank you for all the, home, the, the, the room, the gifts. It's been a blessing to be here, honor to be here. And I'm uh, so glad to be able to minister to you. And I want to say thank you to you students. Uh, for surrendering your life to the Lord. And uh, it's an honor to share with you uh, these things. First of all, I like to tell a joke. In my church, we, they, they make fun of my jokes, and so please, you can, you can make me feel at home. They always say, Pastor needs to get a new joke book. But I'll tell you my most favorite joke that I love to tell. There's two morons, and they were out in the parking lot, and they are trying, they had the assignment to uh, measure the, the light pole. And so they grab the tape measure and they're just trying to shimmy up the, the, the tape measure up. You know how the tape measures fall when it gets too, too long and, and uh, they keep, you know, can't measure it. And So one guy decides to shimmy up the pole and hand him the measuring tape and just keeps falling down. And They just couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out how to get the, te- the light pole measured. And so they're, they're just conversing there and this big strapping guy walks by and he sees that they're in a, a, a betwixt two and he says, man, what, what are you guys doing? He goes, we're trying to measure the light pole and I can't figure out how to do it. He says, you want some help? He goes, yeah. And so he walks over to the pole. He rips the pole out of the ground, lays it down, and says, would you give me your tape measure? And he says, yeah. So he takes the tape measure, and he takes the tape measure and just takes it like this, and and he measures it. He goes, it's 40 feet. And he hands him the tape measure and walks away. The first moron looks to the second moron and goes, what an idiot. We wanted the height, not the length. (laughs) Thank you for loving my joke. My church doesn't. <laughs> in Genesis chapter 24, uh, do you guys stand for, for the reading of the word here? or Either way. We do at our church. Would you mind just standing for the reverence of God's word, those who are able to stand? We're going to read verses, start verse 1 and go all the way through uh, verse number 9. But keep your Bibles open. We're going to be in the entire chapter. I know it's a long chapter, 67 verses. But uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven... And the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, unto my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land, unless I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest. And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and which spake unto me and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master and swear to him concerning that matter. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. I thank you for the the music we sang and heard, Lord, and reminded of your grace. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray, Father, you teach us. Would you guide us into truth? Help me to say everything you want said exactly how you want it said. Would you please, Father, give us clarity? Uh, help us to understand and help us to take the truths that uh, we see here and apply them to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When you pick a chapter, I was with Dr. R. last night, and we were eating lunch or dinner, and, um, and he, I was asking him a question about his book, one of his books, and he goes, you know, he's from Genesis, and he goes, I've taught through Genesis like 60 times. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I should teach, <laughs> preach from Genesis 24, and uh, so if I get anything wrong, Dr. R. can correct us, and I appreciate that. We look at this passage, and we look at Abraham, and we, he's old. Sarah has just passed away looking for, a son, uh, looking for a wife for his son, Isaac, and we see that he grabs his servant, and many believe it's Eliezer, the eldest servant in his household from a few chapters, but for this sake, in this chapter, God chooses not to name him. But we see that Abraham takes his servant and he gives him an assignment. He takes that assignment and he, he makes him have a covenant with him in verses 2 and 3. And we see he says, "With a, make a covenant with Abraham and with God as his witness. And he says, I want you to find a wife for Isaac. We look at this principle of the father being involved, very involved in the choice of his child's spouse. And I remember when I was in college and I met my wife, we, 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 uh, my freshman year, it was her sophomore year, and we dated for three and a half years, three, hour, three years and three months and, uh, before we, we got married. But I wanted to make sure that she met my family and I met her family and both of our parents approved of our relationship. And I'm just saying you know, on a side point, you'll probably want that as well. But we see the, the covenant that he made. We see the conditions. He says, I don't want you to get a, a, a woman from, from, from a Canaanite land. I want you to go back to my homeland. And we see the principle of being like-minded, having the same belief system is very paramount. So we see the assignment that he sends him on. Then we see, next we see the apprehension of the servant. The sole responsibility of finding his master's son a wife. How would you like your dad's butler or something to pick your wife out, guys? And uh, I, I don't know if I would want that. I'm thankful that we don't live in that kind of a society, but this is the case. I, think about it. He is the eldest servant. Who is he going to convince to, to, to um, follow him and take him home? His master was old and well stricken in age. He is the eldest servant of his house and very much apprehension. He was apprehensive of the woman's acceptance. We see in verse number five, he says, peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. He, he wasn't just looking for any woman. He was looking for the one that would accept the offer. We see that Rebekah, who he eventually met and chose, was the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. And Rebe- would Rebekah believe his testimony of Abraham's blessings of the Lord, how God had blessed him with a family, an only son, how God promised him of the, the promised land? Well, not only we see his apprehension of the woman's acceptance, but we see the apprehension of Isaac's absence. Look at verse number five. He says, "He says, must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, beware thou, that thou bring not my son thither again. Would, would Rebecca really believe his word that Abraham actually had a son? <laughs> would would, would it be better to actually see what she was being offered maybe his case, and wondering what was going to happen. I heard of a guy, his name was Matt, and he sets up his buddy Andrew for on a blind date. And he said, you know what, he goes, man, I, I don't know if I want to do that, not seeing the girl. He goes, what, what if she's ugly? He goes, oh, man, it's easy. He goes, if she's beautiful, you just, just go on the date. If she's not, then you just like, you know, go, ah, and, and fake an asthma attack. And he was like, okay. So he, the date was all set, and he knocks on, on, on her door, and, and he looks at her, and man, is the most beautiful woman she's ever saw. And right before he, he gets the word out, she goes, ah! <laughs> 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 we, we look at this, man, can you, can you imagine the apprehension that he's having? Would she accept it? But notice the assurance that Abraham gives him. Notice the assurance of the promise in verse number 7. He says, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee. We see the assurance of the promise that, that was given to him? The promised possession, which is a land that floweth with milk and honey. He's a he says, servant, I want you to go on the, the faith that God has promised this land to my seed. Seeing that I only have one son, God will provide a wife for my son to produce a large posterity. We, see, we as servants of God must understand the promises that he gives us. He has sent us to the uttermost to tell the, them about the father's son. He said, I just want you to go tell them about me. We see the promise Jesus said on John 20, verse 21, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. We see in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And Abraham gives his servant the assurance of the promise. Not only does he give him the assurance of the promise, he gives him the assurance of God's presence. Notice in verse number 7 again, he says, and he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Can I say this? You're never alone in the work of God. You're never alone. I'm so thankful for the, the reminder that Jesus told us as he was ascending in heaven. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When G. Campbell Morgan was a young man, he was visiting two elderly ladies and he was reading the Bible with them and he gets to that verse in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where it says, Lo, I'm with you all the way even unto the end of the world. He stops for a moment and he says, Man, isn't that a wonderful promise? And the little old lady stops in his tracks and goes, No, it's not a promise. It's a fact. And can I tell you, young people, God's promises are facts. And God promises to go with you wherever He has called you to, whatever assignment He assigns to you. We see not only the assurance of the promise, the assurance of the presence, but we see the assurance of the prize. Look at verse number 7 again. He says, And thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. Abraham assured him that this was a win-win situation. His task was to search out the bride, but God will take care of the results. We see in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So we see this going on in his life. We see the assurance. We see the assignment. So we see that he takes a pilgrimage. He takes a pilgrimage in verse number 10. We see, and the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia and to the city of Nahor. We see the pilgrimage here. We see the supplies that he takes 10 camels filled with goods. Goods of his master for the journey there and the journey back and goods to give the bride that would to be, according to National Geographic. They say a camel can carry anywhere between 375 to 600 pounds of goods. That's crazy. 3,700 to 6,000 pounds that he was carrying with him. Not only we see the supplies, we see the stretch that he was to take. The straight shot from Hebron to Mesopotamia was 527 miles, but most likely in those days he took the travel of the Fertile Crescent, which would have been about 650 miles. And we see that camels can only travel up to 34 miles a day. So if you do the math, it's 17 days. Can you imagine traveling for two and a half weeks and every night unloading 3,700 to 6,000 pounds and then waking up in the morning loading it again, cooking meals around a campfire, taking turns, keeping watch for looters and robbers through through the desert, enduring the scorching sun in the day and the freezing temperatures of the night? What a pilgrimage. But We see as he gets to the place, we see the prayer that this servant makes. We look in verse number 11, He says, And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink, and she say, shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. We see the features of the prayer. He asked him, would you send me good speed? He says, would you please let this come to pass quickly? He says, let the ch- your choice be the girl whom I asked to, for a drink of water and affirm she is the one by her giving k- my camels some water too. What a tall task. Cycloprida Botanica says that camels can drink up to 20 gallons of water at a time. It's 200 gallons of water she had to draw from the well. What a tall task not only see the features but we see the feedback in verse number 15 we see and it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold Rebekah came out who was, was born of Bethuel son of Milka the wife of Nahor Abraham's brother with her pitcher upon her shoulder and the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin neither had any man known her and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up man what a what an amazing thing God answers his prayer before he even finishes praying and there is no accident or coincidence with God. First Peter 3, 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Apostle John said in 1 John five fourteen, "And This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. We see the feedback of God. We see not only the feedback, we see the faith of the servant in verse 17. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of the pitcher. He didn't wait for the few girls to come and go and he went for the first one. How many times have we looked and i have guilty of this many, many occasions and Lord, I'm supposed to tell somebody about your son, but I let a few people pass by. He didn't wait though. He put feet to his prayers. Faith is mobilized by putting feet to our prayers. James said, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? We see the fulfillment in verse 18. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. What an answer! She hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands and ten shekels weight of gold. It was happening exactly as he asked. He couldn't believe it. That word wondering comes from the Hebrew word meaning to be stunned or astonished with giddiness. He says, is this the right damsel that he was looking for? And so he goes back to his camels and he fetches some gifts to pay for her service in verse 22. In verse 23, he inquires of her family and a place to lodge for the night. And Rebecca answers these in the affirmative and he couldn't believe it. Reminded of the verse in Psalms, delight thyself. also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust it also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. But then we see the servant's praise. We see his praise in verse 26. He says, And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. We see the word Lord capitalized, meaning Jehovah God, the self-existent one. He realized the servant recognized who heard and who answered his request. The omnipotent one did. No one else could have fulfilled this request so quickly and so efficiently. Jeremiah said, "Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me?" Jesus said, "For God, for with God, nothing shall be impossible in Luke. Not only did he praise the Lord's omnipotence, but he the Lord's omniscience in verse 27. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath left not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brother. And he was saying, God, you knew which way to go, which way it turns to make, which girl to ask. You led me down the right path. The psalmist said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Solomon and said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all the ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path." David said, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. But we come to verse 33 and he meets Rebekah's dad Laban and we see the message he has. This unnamed servant In this chapter, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit always acts in accordance with the Father and the Son's will. The servant could have not have done what he did without the filling of the Holy Spirit, and neither can we. John 16 says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you the things to come. This servant could have told of his long journey and how he was the eldest and how he was the senior servant and make a big to-do about himself. But notice in verse 33, he says, and there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. He says, before I eat, I don't, can I tell you why I'm here? I've got a message Because my master, the father, who's got a wonderful promise from God, and God has blessed him, and he has a son. Can I tell you folks, we have a wonderful father, and he's given us the message to tell of his wonderful son. We see the criticalness of the message Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. There is nothing more important than that message. There was no beating around the bush with the servant here. John Curry was found guilty of murder in 1949 and he was sentenced to life in prison. Later, he was paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee, and in 1968, Courier's sentence was terminated. He was free, but a letter bearing the good news was sent to him, and John never saw that letter, nor was he ever told anything about it. Ten years later, in 1978, a state parole officer learned about his plight, and he found him, and he told him that his sentence had been terminated. He was a free man. How often do we as Christians, we've been entrusted with the most important message in the world, yet many of us never deliver that message to those who have a sentence of death in themselves. Not only see the criticalness, but we see the clarity. The clarity in verse 34, it says, and he said, I am Abraham's servant. And The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he hath given me flocks and are given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses and Sarah, my master's wife, a son to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. My master made me swear, saying, "Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but thou shalt go into my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son." And I said to my master, "Peradventure the woman will not follow me." And he said unto me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way, and thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. Then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Then when thou comest to my kindred, and if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day unto the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand by the well of the water, and it shall come to pass, that when the virgin cometh before to forth to draw water and I say to her give me I pray thee a little water of thy pitcher to drink and she say to me both drink thou and I will also draw from thy, for thy camels let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out of my master's son and before I had done speaking in my heart behold Rebecca came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder we see the clarity of the message he was telling him about his master and he's telling about the master's son one day, Mrs. Green, she lived in a two-story house and together with an elderly widow. And after not hearing from her for a few days, she got a bit nervous. And so she sent her son John and says, Hey, John, do me a favor, would you go find out how old Mrs. Robinson is? And John says, Yes, ma'am. And he goes up to see Mrs. Robinson. And she comes back and he says, How'd it go? She goes, Mom, I've never seen her so mad in her life. She goes, Why? She said, It's none of my business how old she is. That one didn't go over too well. (laughs) He didn't get the message clear. When we are sharing the message, be sure to make it clear and understandable to the recipient. Paul said in Colossians, he said, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make make it manifest as I ought to speak. The clarity of the message. We see the constraint of the message in verse 49. And now if you would deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. I remember one day that I was serving as a youth pastor in Alabama. Growing up in Louisiana, my, my, my family, my parents grew up in the suburbs of New Orleans, and my parents were both first-generation Christians. And um, my mom was raised Catholic. She got saved watching the 700 Club as a teenager. My dad was raised Presbyterian, and he got saved when he was 25. I was six months old at the time, and, uh, and so my family didn't have a church background. And my mom was raised Catholic, and she was able to lead her father and mother to the Lord and some siblings, and uh, we have some cousins and stuff like that. But I remember her uncle being raised in Catholic. She had a godfather, and her uncle was her godfather. And I, I never really cared much about him. Didn't really get to know him that much. He was always, anytime I came around him, he was always kind of gruff, mean. Um, he had been married three times. But he was battling cancer. My mom called me and says, Jake, Uncle Glenn is in the hospital, and they don't think he's supposed to be uh, here in much longer. You're the closest. My parents were living out of state. And she says, you're the closest there. Is there any chance you can drive and go see him? And I said, I'll see. You. And I asked our pastor, and he gave me the day off, and I quickly drove through the night to go see him. And I called him up, and he w- I said, Uncle Glenn, this is Jacob, Glenda's son. I don't know if you know me. Oh, yeah, Jacob, I know you. He goes, what do you want to go? I'm, in, I'm in town. I just want to come by and see you. Oh, okay. I said, I heard you in the hospital. He goes, no, they sent me home. And so I didn't know what it was because I know he was always kind of mean and being from a Catholic family. And so I stopped by the Academy Sports, sports sporting goods store there. And our whole family is LSU fans, except for him. He's a two-lane fan. And, and everybody knew that at Tulane University there in New Orleans. So I stopped by and I committed the cardinal sin of buying a Tulane baseball cap for him and not buying an LSU one. I bought him a fitted uh, Tulane hat and I got to his house and there in the suburb of New Orleans and I knocked on his door, he invited me in. We began to talk and chit-chat, kind of catching up and nervous as can be and when you're trying to talk to a family member about Christ. We were there for about an hour and a half and I said, Uncle oh, Glenn, I know... You're battling cancer, and Mom thought you were you're not going to be here much longer. I want to come see you, but the reason I came to see you is I just want to ask you: Do you know where you spending eternity? And he looks at me and he says, "You know, Jacob, it's funny you ask. I've been wondering about that a lot." He said, "You know our family." I'm like, "Yeah." We're not allowed to say we're not Catholic. My great grandmother, Momo Joe, she made my grandfather promise her, never to, him, promise her to never leave the Catholic Church. My mom led him to the Lord. He trusted Christ and he never left the Catholic Church. But he also never attended it. And he says, You know how our family's like that. I go, Yeah. And I, I didn't want to stir any trouble, but he goes, I never really believed it. He says, And my stepson, 37, just died unexpectedly and we're wondering where we're going to spend eternity. I said, well, Uncle Glenn, would you like to know? He says, I think I would. And I sat down between them on their, him and my Aunt Susan and between the couch and took them through the Romans Road and they sweetly prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen. I was there for a specific message. More than just tell him I love him, but that our Heavenly Father has a son that wants to once a new bride. Two months later, he saw Jesus. The constraint of the message is so important. We see not only the constraint, we see the completeness of the message. Rebecca accepted the proposal, but it didn't stop there. We see in verse 62, it says, And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lahori, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lifted, lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. Rebecca accepted the wedding proposal without even laying an eye on Isaac. Without verifying the story that she had been told, she simply believed the servant. But the servant's job wasn't yet completed. He had to lead her to Isaac. We see that John 16 says the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into truth. Rebecca knew she, she wanted to get in the presence of the bridegroom but didn't know the path to get there. She saw the necessity to follow someone who has walked this path before. And we see the importance of the discipleship and being a disciple maker. As Matthew chapter 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all, even in the world. It says teaching them what I've commanded you. Discipleship is part of the Great Commission and the question we have to ask is who are we leading to follow Christ? As the Apostle Paul said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So we see the importance of getting the message. That was all the introduction. Can I give you just a few minutes and here's the message. I was preaching this through the book of Genesis at our church and As I was preaching, God arrested my thought in the middle of the sermon. And he says, you know what? In this chapter, God never names the servant. I believe God purposely left out the name of the servant because the focus must be on the father's son. One author, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. The servant thought of himself less, but he knew how awesome the father is. And he has given his life to point others to his son. It didn't matter if his name was ever mentioned. It didn't matter if he knew who he was. He said, if I can just tell somebody about my father, my master, and his son. That's all that matters. Can you picture the disciples in John chapter three? The disciples of John the Baptist as they were concerned of John's popularity, as Jesus and his disciples began baptizing too and John answers them, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John set the stage so that Jesus could take center stage. And too often we want to take center stage. I remember several years ago I was couldn't sleep one night, and I was in the side bedroom of our home and I was praying, and I'm like, God, why is this happening? Why am I so frustrated? And as clear as I'm speaking to you now, God told me, he says, Jacob, you're proud of the fact that you think you're not proud. You think you're humble. Sad to say it's taken me nearly 20 years to... Kind of begin to understand what it are being okay with being obscure than just pointing people to Jesus. We see that John was so faithful to his assignment. He was okay with Jesus taking center stage. We want our names in the lights, we want our names on the on, on the programs and God says, I will not give my glory to any other. We see the highlight on how the servant put the spotlight on the father's son and he steps back into obscurity, fulfilling his calling as a faithful servant. And know I'm not minimizing having big vision or big dreams. I have big vision, I have big dreams. But our motives must be Pure. to bring glory to our God looking for that phrase when I see our Savior well done thou good and faithful servant just last fall in my devotions I was reading and I got to John chapter 8 and Jesus makes an amazing statement to me he's the son of God He's the savior of the world. And he tells them, and I seek not mine own glory. I seek not my own glory. And we are to be, we are to follow his example. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria was fed up with being king. And so he applied to the monastery via the head monk, Richard, there. And the king told the prior, he said, I told him his personal struggles and battles, I just don't want to be a king anymore. And he says, I want to be here, and I want to give my life to follow you as Christ leads you. And the head monk looks at the king, and he says, King, I understand. And he goes, do you realize that this is a pledge here of one of obedience? He goes, that might be very hard for you because you've been a king. And the king says, I know. I want to follow you as Christ leads you. He said, okay, then I'll tell you what to do. He said, I want you to go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place God has placed you. When the king died, it was written of him, he said, the king learned to rule by being obedient. I don't know what assignment God has for you. You may be on the backside of the desert. You may be on the jungles of Africa. You may be where nobody even knows your name. But if that's the assignment God's called you to, all you got to do is tell people about your heavenly father and his wonderful son. If you think of the word obedience... You take the word obedience and you look at the, the letters, the middle three letters, it's O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. If I'm going to be obedient to the assignment God has given me, I must die to what I want and be obedient to his assignment. Be okay with being obscure. Whoever God has placed you, keep pointing people to his son.